welcome to the first official All of the Classics podcast. My first guest is Mark Malkoff. Mark Malkoff does a podcast I have been a long-time listener of, The Carson Podcast. It's a podcast where he talks about Johnny Carson and The Tonight Show. He interviews people who made appearances or worked on the show, and I really can't praise the show high enough. It has had guests like Carol Burnett, Mel Brooks, and Dick Cavett, and even Peter LaSalle. So I don't even know why you're listening to me, but if you want to know more about the man behind the podcast, I have the solution. Now, I don't live close to Mark, so I had to talk to him over Skype. And I expect my audio will improve as I release more podcasts and learn more. But Mark had some pretty cool things to share, so let's get to it. Oh, first of all, thank you for having me on right. your podcast. I'm honored to be your uh, first guest, or I don't know what sequentially how you're going to do this, but I'm honored to talk to you. Uh, I I think I'm a fairly curious person. That's why I like interviewing people. Uh, but for somebody to be as, as famous and iconic as Johnny Carson there was very little information on what actually went on behind the scenes on his show, how the show was ran, what it was like to actually be a guest on the show. And I just had so many questions from, from watching the show when I was a kid. I was really young. Like, who opens the curtain? How did the guests, like, where are they before the show? And, um, there were just so many questions. And Peter Jones did this amazing, wonderful documentary for American Masters, which was two hours long, I and I just wanted that, so yeah. much more. And I sat down. You did, yeah. I sat down with Peter uh, in, in his office in, in, in California, and I told him I just wanted to go on and on. And he said, Mark, you know, uh, people only sit through two hours of documentaries. And I told him this idea for the Carson podcast because I just was so enthusiastic about, about his documentary. And he's like, Mark, you have to do this. Tell everyone I endorse you. And I really feel like with without Peter Jones, I don't, I don't think it probably would have happened. So he, it was the, it was basically that was the catalyst to start this, and it was just my curiosity, just because I wanted to know who held the curtain open for Johnny, what was going on behind the scenes, um, the stereotype also um, of him from from Joan Rivers and his former. Um, his former lawyer, which was very negative, and yeah. just a lot of his friends never talked openly about him. Uh, so I, I was prepared for, I, I, I just thought it might go a little negative, but I was still curious. But as it turns out, uh, the people that have never talked to him before, a lot of his friends uh, and coworkers, overwhelmingly positive, and mo- mo- the majority of them really uh, liked the man. Yes, that's, I mean, he didn't really talk a lot, but. He was very, you know, reclusive, but he was very warm, I feel like. And uh, the Harry, uh, are you referring to the Harry Bushkin um, book of the negativity? Yeah, Yeah. yeah, like Henry Bushkin was definitely, somebody gave me the book and I, I read it. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely a lot of negative stuff there. But, I mean, if you talk to people that knew him, like David Steinberg or or Peter LaSalle, or Bob Newhart, late Don Rickles. I mean, the people, yeah. the people, they loved, they loved him. Uh, I just, my guest this week, Barry Diller, was friends with Carson. Uh, he, he, as much as the media would say that he was reclusive, he was still out and about all the time. I mean, he, in retirement, 
he was having lunch with writers, former staff members. Whoa, so uh, he was going little... to Africa with, with former um, former NBC president Bob Wright. He went to Africa. Wow. He was he was around and about. He was all over Malibu. Uh, I think there is this stereotype that he was uh, this recluse guy, which I from doing the podcast and talking to people, I that's not true. I, I don't think it's true. Oh, that's interesting. Because, like, I feel like I get, um, whenever I'm listening to your podcast, I feel like I get about a balanced um, both. Like, people are like, well, he was kind of reclusive, and then there's people like, oh, no, he was very warm. So, that's interesting that, like, the personally, from interviewing people, you feel that he was very much more warm than portrayed. He was definitely a private man, but, I mean, at the same time, he was definitely having dinner with not a lot of guests, but he was going out to dinner with Carl Sagan. He went out to dinner at least once with Dr. Paul Ehrlich, who was on the show, like dinners with Michael Landon, uh, dinners with um, a bunch of the guests. I mean, he, and even in, in retirement, like Wolfgang Puck was saying that Johnny would come to, to the, his, one of his Malibu restaurants. So he was out and about, and I've, I've talked to, I've talked to staffers on the record and a few, um, off the record that he was getting together with them uh, regularly in uh, retirement. So I, I don't know. I would think like Letterman, I don't know if he, how many lunches or dinners he had with guests or staff or what he does now. But I mean, I know Dave is out and about too, but I mean, mm-hmm. I think, I, I think Johnny definitely was uh, because he chose to retire when he was 66. Like a lot of people do and not work um, after that. I think that's just maybe because he didn't show up on TV by choice. I think that might be why he was labeled as reclusive. Right. So, I, when, when you first got your podcast, you had some very notable guests on. You had Carol Burnett. You had uh, Mel Brooks. How did you come about getting some of your first guests? Oh, my goodness. Um... It was definitely, I had no idea who would talk to me and stuff, so uh, some of it was just um, people would throw me phone numbers of certain people and I would call them. Others were just researching the internet and approaching agents um, and personal assistants, not too many agents, more managers, personal assistants, uh, sending letters, tweeting at people, and it was just, I had no idea. And so many of these people would wanted to talk about Johnny. I, I think a lot of the people that said yes initially only said yes because it was Johnny. I know for a fact Stephen Wright, who I, I sent a message to, he he called me within 45 minutes, and I couldn't believe I was on the phone with him, and he was telling me I'm in New York, wow. but I can only do this in the next three hours. So within, like, a couple hours, I'm recording with Stephen Wright. And he told me afterwards, he said, normally, Mark, I don't, do, I don't do these things very often, and when I do, they take months to set up. And uh, I only said yes because it was Johnny Carson. Right. I think that's one of the cool things about a podcast is, like, it doesn't take too long to set up, and it's a fairly quick interview, you know. Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of that's to do with Carson. I mean, Mel Brooks, I don't think, was going to do it. And then Carl Reiner. Right. uh, I I heard that. He was like, Carl told me that you were so good. And, like, that's also something, like, uh, that leads me to say my next question is, how do you research for the podcast? Because like many of your guests are like really impressed with your home, how much you do your homework and sometimes know their life better than them- themselves. They're like, Oh wow. I forgot about that. I, I just try to take the time to 
watch YouTube clips of them on different shows throughout their career. And if they were on other podcasts, sometimes I'll listen to them. Uh, just um, through search engines like Google, just trying to um, read interviews with them, look at their, their credits. Um, look at, if I can, yeah, any Carson clips that, that have survived. Um, after 72, they have everything. Pre-72, they have some things. I, I just I just take the time. I mean, right. the, Gilbert Gottfried and Frank Santa Padre do a really great podcast, and Frank is the one that researches. And I mean, he he does a crazy amount of research. And I I just for me personally, from my show, putting my name on it and sitting down with these people, I can't I couldn't do it any other way. I know some people just like to sit down with the people the, the people without any research, and they just kind of wing it. And I it's just not my thing. Yeah, I, I I also think you're not giving yourself enough credit though because I'm uh, I went to MMJ school. I'm a journalist, so yeah. there's many journalists that do not do their homework as much as you do. <laughs> <laughs> you're very nice. I have an episode. Um, I guess it's next week, I believe, with Bill Schott, who was Dave Letterman's opening remarks. They don't call it a monologue, but he wrote opening mm-hmm. remarks for Letterman for over 20 years, and Bill. Kept saying through the interview about my the research and how much I know. Some a lot of it, like with Bill at least, is like I I, I think that some details from that I read sometimes from a, a decade or two ago I just hold on to, and I think that that was some of the stuff that he was surprised. But I mean, I definitely I mean when I sat in with Bill Chef, uh, I definitely listened to him on uh, a podcast or two and any interview that I could find. I think that's it, and trying to talk with people that normally try to ask questions that they normally aren't asked. Like when I sit, yeah. sat down with um, like Mark Harmon, um, I don't even think we talked about his CBS show much, if any, and I'm sure that's what he gets uh, asked right, about. Right, so, the most. Yeah. yeah, we talked about his dad. We talked about how his dad knew Johnny Carson. We talked Carson. We talked um, him working with Carl Reiner, who was a frequent Johnny Carson guest. We talked uh, him hosting Saturday Night Live. We talked him going on Letterman. I, I just try to talk to, like, like I, I was with one um, well-known person, and the, her publicists were like, oh, my goodness, we've never had, those were such interesting questions. They, oh, she always gets asked the same questions every time, and I don't even think about it. I, I just, I don't know, if I'm going to sit down with the people, I just want to make sure it's, like, yeah. something that I'm curious about that I think the audience would be curious about, and I just don't want to make a cookie yeah. cutter. I uh, I feel, I feel that. I also think it's, like, your passion, and, like, that's why I'm starting my podcast, is, like, I just have this passion for classic TV and movies and people that I feel like people may be forgetting now, and I just don't want that to happen, so. I admire that, yeah, I think anything you're excited about, I mean, I had no idea that this thing would go 180 plus episodes. I, my expectations were, I, I, you, you always hope that, that people are going to be receptive, but I, this was uncharted waters for me. I didn't know what I was doing at first. I was stumbling uh, probably for the first couple, like dozen or two episodes and the guests, and it just like, you know, the sea, it just started to part and people just started to say yes. And I just, there's definitely been, because I do, I do the majority in person. It's definitely one of those things where uh, I'm pretty used to it now, but like certain times I'm like, I can't believe I'm across from them. But I mean, yeah, people have been extremely generous with their time. Right. I, I really admire that you do it in person. I feel like that's the right way to do it. I'd love to do that in the future, but I'm currently in middle America. That's kind of hard to do, but 
but uh, it's, it's definitely a challenge sometimes. Uh, the listeners have been very nice to support me, but I do want to point out the first year of the Carson podcast, we did not take donations. I lo- we lost so much money the oh, first right. year, and then I, I stopped doing it as frequently, and that's when the listeners started. They, they were just like they couldn't take it and they, and, I, and they were like when are you coming back why mm-hmm. where is it where is it and i just explained the financial situation and then people just started stepping up and supporting the podcast financially and that's the only reason that it's able to keep going and i'm able to go to uh los angeles to do the pod i do some here but it's more uh like los angeles i think is where most of my guests are that's really cool and like i i did watch um, or I don't know where I saw that, that you were saying like, uh, yeah, I don't have the financial resources anymore. And like that, but that was amazing that you got that response. I was like, um, I was so glad you got it. Uh, cause at the time I wasn't able to support you. It was like, Oh, I want to, but, um, I, I, and I, I appreciate that. That's very, mm-hmm. very nice of, of you. And I, I realize not everyone's in a situation, but it is one of those things where, Sometimes people will ask me how you how did you get the funds and I and I tell them it's only because I did it for like a, a, over a year plus um, for free and um, put out a product that people like you know I was consistent with it that's the and built up a listenership uh, that's the only reason that people did that people did because if I started that in the beginning and people didn't know me or the podcast or know the quality that we we, we strive for I don't. Yeah, I think I'm sure it wouldn't have happened, but um, yeah, we're so grateful that the listeners have, uh, have, have have done that and continue to. So you're a comedian, and <laughs> <laughs> on my good day, sometimes, yeah, sometimes. Um, and for many people, Carson was like uh, one of the, like the originals. He was like the OG, and uh, so. From your research, have you found other comedians that have, like, for me, it's been Jack Benny. I'm obsessed with Jack Benny. Have you found, like, someone you're newly obsessed with because of Johnny Carson? Oh, God, that's an excellent question because of Carson. People that are obsessed with him doing research. Um, Trying to think. You know, it's interesting, like, Peter LaSalle was just telling me some of his, who was Johnny's producer, was telling me certain guests that were, like, the best yeah. guests, and it's really interesting watching someone like, like, Tony Randall, and there's no accident that Conan O'Brien had Tony Randall on his very first show ever in September of 93. He's such a good talker and such a good guest, and, like, I don't, I kind of dismissed when Peter told me that, and then I was watching Tony Randall's Carson appearances, and, like, I was like, this guy was born to do this. There's certain people that are just so effortless. So I think when most people think Carson, they think of like wrinkles going on and people like that. But mm-hmm. someone like Tony Randall, oh my gosh, that's such a good talker. He was definitely someone, I don't want to say obsessed at all, but someone I was more intrigued uh, intrigued with. I, I think like um, definitely he, he was somebody that I was, uh, his skill set, uh, very few people could do what he does on those shows. Yes, uh, you mentioned Peter LaSalle. Uh, that is, I've been told, a hard interview to get. Peter doesn't really do a lot of interviews, uh, 
but he was like this big network executive. Uh, How did you get an interview with Peter? Was it just someone threw out a name or? That's a great question too. Peter, first of all, has been so nice to me. We're we're friends. The last time I was in Los Angeles, we had had lunch. I was over at his home. He's been so warm and nice to me. Uh, I... I sent him a message, and we do have a mutual friend, uh, but I, I just said, I know that you rarely do interviews, but this would mean so much, and I just kind of poured my heart out in this email in a very professional but sincere way, and within I, within an hour, his assistant at Craig Ferguson called and said, Mark, P- Peter uh, LaSalle is on the line for you, and I, I couldn't believe it. I was wow. like, you know, in my New York City apartment where I am now. And he was one of those, those thing, people that was like on the top of my list. And I was aware he doesn't do this stuff very rarely. And then, yeah, he got on the phone with me. And, I, and he's like, how do you know I don't do many interviews? I'm like, that's your reputation. It's true. And he's like, well, it is true. Uh, he's like, there's something about your letter. He's like, I I, I, I want to do this. There's something just about your, um, your, 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 what you wrote to me. And uh, we talked, I don't know, for 10, 15 minutes on the phone. And some of the guests will. We'll, I'll talk to them on the phone for that long beforehand. And then I, I flew to Los Angeles. I went to the Craig Ferguson studio, where they do Price is Right. And it's like this giant maze. And I think I got lost trying to get to his office. I did get lost. I think I get lost every single time <laughs> I go there. One, the one time I, I wound up on the Ferguson set, which I wasn't, I, I mean, they were cool that I was there, but I'm like, seriously. So like some stagehand or. It's always uh-huh. like somebody just like walks me to Peter's uh, or the reception and they walk me to Peter's office. And mm-hmm. yeah, like Peter's just been really nice. Like we did the first interview and I couldn't believe how generous he was. And then we stayed in touch on the phone and then I, I would go over to Ferguson to visit him. And we would just, when I was in town in Los Angeles and he's, he's just been so warm and, and, and nice to me. And this amazing career with Arthur Godfrey, with um, Car- Johnny Carson, Dave Letterman, Tom Snyder, Craig Ferguson, and, uh, he is one of those people, and the last time I, I saw him, I told him, I was like, a lot of the Tonight Show Carson people say that, that the thing they love about you is you were all about family, and you would stress the importance of family. A lot of people are all show business, and, you know, he's about family, and he's like, that means, he told me that it meant a lot, because it's true that he would do that, and that people recognize that. Just a really nice, wonderful man. That is a really cool, that's a really cool story. Oh. That, like, people got to actually, like, he got to hear the response through you. That's really cool. So, um, are you getting, like, more guests through, like, you've been doing this for a while, so are people reaching out to you now to, like, get, say, like, I love Johnny Carson, I'd like to share a story, or is... No, 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 go ahead. That happens occasionally. Um, there are a few guests that have, have reached out to me. Let's see, like, um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, like Victoria Jackson, who was on, I think, like 18 times from Saturday Night Live. She went on with Johnny. She emailed me that she listens to the podcast. She's like, can I be a guest? And I was like, oh, my gosh, you're on 18 times, of course, mm-hmm. on Carson's show. And then, um, yeah, it's happened. A few guests have reached out to me. There are people or or or, or, fan, or not they, they listen to the podcast regularly, so they're like, uh, would you want them on? I'm like, yeah. And in some cases, I've actually tried to get them on, and I've been not, I was not successful at the time. So 
that happens. And then, like, I definitely think just um, sticking around for a while and momentum and stuff, just, like, I can, when I approach certain guests, I can be like, these people have been on the podcast, and I think that that helps. I, I'm always surprised, and I get a kick when certain guests just, they'll they'll take their time, which I understand they'll listen to the podcast, and they'll be like, oh, I've, been, I've listened to a bunch of episodes. I was like, oh, wow, because I think they just want to get a sense of what, the tone is and, and see what right. they're getting into, which I totally respect and, and, and get. But, um, yeah, people have been nice. To, it, it has been – Carol Leifer has been really nice to, like – she told Paul Reiser I was trying to get – I was working for, like, four years getting him on or three. She really said nice things to Paul Reiser, and she said nice things to um, Robert Morden, Morty from Letterman. So he was just on recently. So Carol Leifer has been really nice to me, Rick Ludwin. Uh, who is a former NBC vice president of Late Night, who uh, Seinfeld and George Shapiro give uh, credit for Seinfeld given NBC. Rick has been extremely nice like that. So, yeah, so grateful. Phil Rosenthal um, has been really nice as well. Um, how did your interview go with, uh, this Sunday with Phil? Oh, yeah, Phil and I had a great time. Phil is one of those guys who's such a good storyteller. Phil Rosenthal created Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah. He has a TV show on Netflix now, a, a series called uh, I'll, um, Somebody Feed Bill, Food Travel. And Phil uh, had a lunch with Johnny Carson because a former Carson writer, Tony DeSena, uh, and Johnny in retirement, they'd have lunches together. Again, Carson was out and about, and they would have lunches and, and – uh, Johnny had seen the correspondence dinner video that the Clintons had done. It was the first time that the president, sitting president, had ever done one of those comedy videos for the correspondence dinner. And it was directed by Phil Rosenthal, and I think he wrote it as well. And and, and uh, Johnny loved it. And, and Tony said, "How would you like to meet? How would you like to meet the guy who directed it and wrote it?" So, yeah, Phil um, just asked Tony. He's like, "I have to bring Ray Romano. I have to bring Ray." Ray was on Carson once. Please, can I bring Ray? And Carson was okay with it. So, yeah, they all had a, a lunch together with Johnny. And Phil just, um, Phil just showed me or, or, or sent me up um, a copy of a letter that Johnny actually wrote him after the lunch, um, which was really, really nice. And uh, so, yeah, like Phil is great. We had a great talk. Um, people uh, love Phil's show business stories. He he has wonderful, wonderful uh, entertainment stories. It was the second time we did a talk. Um, live on stage before and um yeah it was so much fun thank you for asking right I, I mean I heard about it and I was like oh I wish I could be there because Phil Phil yeah. does good interviews he does good interviews oh he's phenomenal he's great on Gilbert Godfrey and Frank's uh podcast he's always good on the podcast he's great on Jimmy Kimmel and Conan whenever he's a guest on anything so I'm just want to put it out there. What are some of your dream guests to appear on the Carson podcast? Oh my goodness! I should look at my guest list, which I, I still have like a couple hundred people that I want on the show. Um, wow! I would say like I know, isn't that crazy? A lot of them aren't famous, but like the the people that are um, on my my top ten, and I'm just like I know I'm probably not going to get this right, but some people just off the top of my head in my top ten would be Bette Midler, Doc Severinsen. Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, those two for sure. I'm trying to think. Probably Letterman, Seinfeld, Steve Lawrence. Uh, just Steve Lawrence was very good friends with Johnny. Guest hosted the show a, a lot. Bob Newhart, who guest hosted the show yes. a lot, was friends with Johnny. Um, I think maybe Angie Dickinson, who was fairly mm -hmm. close to Johnny, would be great. Um, 
trying to think who I'd have to look at my guest list, but seriously, like it's 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 over a hundred pages long. Right. I mean, it's it's an enormous an enormous um, guest list. I should I should open it up right now. I mean, it's just like it goes on and on. You know what? There's a gentleman here in New York who is the original talent coordinator on the Tonight Show, Shelley Schultz, who I really went on, who I haven't been able to, to get to convince um, recently. I think he, since he was there in the beginning, um, would be amazing. There's one other person from the New York days um, who was very hands on, who I've, I haven't been able to to convince as well. Uh, I really like covering the New York days of the show. Those are um, some people at the top of my head. I, I mean, right. there, I, I again, we could I could list the names and you would have 200 names. Right. I know that I would like to see... Conan, I know that he probably won't, but like he has a he has a very good appreciation for Johnny, and he did that yeah. uh, he did that special where he like introduced a bunch of Johnny clips, and That's like true. you can just see the love it, that he has and respect, and I I, I sorry, interrupted you. No, no, it's go ahead. I, I yeah, I asked um, Conan a bunch of times. I think that they were considering at one point, and I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, after so often, I told them we'll check in. But, yeah, I mean, he met Johnny at least once or twice. They talked on the phone uh, when he got the Tonight Show, and Johnny congratulated him. Uh, or when it was not when he when it was announced he was eventually going to get it in, like, four years or whatever their, that arrangement was. <laughs> so, yeah, Conan, um, so always optimistic. Some of these guests take years to set up. I mean, I try right. to keep... Um, polite persistence. Uh, but yeah, I think you're right. Conan would be a fantastic mm -hmm. guest. Maybe it'll happen. I hope so. I, I hope so because um, I think he's a very warm person. He'd be very, like, uh, I feel like he has such a passion for for it that I hope that it happens eventually. But I hope. You know, I met him in the early days when he was starting and he was a very... Uh, he was having a, a, a tough time um, in like '93, the first year or two of the show, and it was much different. Um, it was a much different show. They couldn't fill the studio audience in, in Studio Six A um, for a lot of the shows in the, the first year or so. But um, yeah, I went to a lot of those tapings, um, and it was interesting to be there um, to kind of see the, the, the show the first couple of years with Conan. That's that's really cool. I was super young, so. I did not right? experience yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I want to switch gears now to some of your comedy videos. Uh, you have quite a lot of, I don't know, uh, I guess I would call them viral um, from a couple years ago. Like the, you spent a week in Ikea. How? That's true. That's true. It did happen. That was not a dream that I had. Um, I had the idea 10 years ago to do a video series where I lived in Sluts and Ikea for a week. And I know some people have, um, have tried this without their permission, which is illegal, at least yeah. to stay over. But I I went through proper channels, and it took me about, I think, like a few months of, of polite persistence to get um to say yes there was a, a phone there's a phone um conference or a phone meeting and then they met me in person and then yeah they let me take over their store for a week and live there and 
Uh, it was like a media frenzy. I mean, it was an international story. I was on so many television shows, and I, I just wanted to make fun video content. Uh, but the IKEA thing was crazy, and that I think the reason they said yes is because um, a few months prior, I did this other video that got a lot of attention, and I was on like on the Today Show and CNN, and I think that they realized they, they said that they trusted me, which is nice. They met with me and they said, "There's something about you. We we trust you," and uh, that that was very nice, and I didn't let them down, which I'm happy about. Was was that video that they saw? Was that the Starbucks one or? That is. That was one seven one Starbucks, where I went around New York City seeing if it was possible for somebody to go to every single Starbucks store in Manhattan, which at the time was one hundred and seventy one in less than twenty four hours, make a purchase and consume something. It only took twenty three hours. I was up for twenty seven hours and then lots of pain. Uh, yeah, it happens. That was a hot July day. Uh, do not try that ever. No. Did, did they not, like, have water? Did it have to be a cup of coffee that you drank? <laughs> no, not necessarily. It was a hot July day, and I had mm-hmm. enough caffeine that after 12 hours, I couldn't walk in a straight line. Yeah. I had abandoned my bicycle. Oh. Um, but, yeah, I, at the time, I didn't drink coffee. I drank black coffee. Um, I did another project where I got a, I, I, I developed um, a, a thing for black coffee. So, um yeah, but at the time I didn't drink coffee, so I was pretty messed up um, at the time. But um, yeah, the video, once I healed and once it, it, it got out there, it, it got a lot of uh, media attention. And I think that that was one of the key uh, things that got IKEA on board. <laughs> yeah, getting IKEA on board. I, I, I mean, that was ridiculous The that you were there. Were you there while your apartment was being fumigated? Oh, for the IKEA thing, like yeah. that. I, I was more like uh, that was more like a sketch. Um, okay. I feel like I was playing a character. Right. Um, yeah, like we did. I, we did use that as like the narrative reason, uh-huh. but like IKEA was fully aware that it was like I was just doing like the ridiculous comedy mm-hmm. video stuff. So it was just part of like the the, the Mark uh, sketches with IKEA and stuff. So that's what that was. That's really cool that they let you do that. Uh, I still can't believe it, even though it takes, like, it took you a couple months. That's kind of insane to, like, you, so you actually, like, slept over and, like... I didn't leave for the week, and it was, um, it was one of those things where I just told them, I was like, the upside is you guys are going to get so much media attention. The downside is is that just like no one pays much attention to it, but that's that's it. And I'm you, I, I'm like you guys are, are safe in terms of like the content I'm gonna do. They trusted me so much. They told me they said, Mark, um, we don't need. Uh, I said, you guys want to look at the videos before they go out? And they said, no, no, we we trust you because I had my guys in the back room editing like almost twenty four seven. We would film and they would be edited in IKEA, and it was they just trusted me. It was great. They they. Somebody at IKEA told me they got more publicity in the United States in my project than the history of the company. They won like all these PR awards, like the Oscars of PR awards mm-hmm. on my on the campaign. So it's like oh it was God. a win win. Uh, again, polite persistence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I try to do that with the podcast. Like just keep right. checking in with people. And certain guests were just like uh, after a bunch, they're like, "Okay, fine, I'll do it." So that's cool. So gotta ask. 
can you build a cabinet now that you've spent a week in Ikea? <laughs> no, isn't there like a game show where someone's going to do it where people try to build Ikea furniture? I can't do it. I mean, my, Christine, my wife, is the one that handles all that stuff. I can't. <laughs> I, um, I think I tried, and after like five or ten minutes, I, I just gave up. That's, uh, it is not my forte. And uh, speaking of crazy PR things, did you, I read this and I wasn't quite sure how this came about, didn't really see a lot on it. You lived on a plane for, how, how long? 30 days. Oh God. How did that happen? I had a genuine fear of flying. And I, I think I just maybe think a little differently than some people, maybe out of the box. And I, I sincerely asked myself, how am I going to get over my fear of flying? And the answer I came up with was that I would, the, the, the way that I really thought that I would is that I would have to force myself to fly over and over and over again until I somehow got used to it. And so I came up with this idea that I would stay and live on an airplane for a month to get over my fear of flying. I, I wrote up the treatment. I kind of thought that I would do it with Richard Branson and, and Virgin because they do innovative, fun stuff like that. And I wrote up the treatment. I put it away. Like a lot of uh, people that don't know me well, like certain people, I, I shared the idea and certain people like totally dismissed it. Like this will never happen. No one's going to let you do this. And I, I put it away and I kept thinking about it. And then like a couple months later, Somebody I know was in a meeting with another airline, AirTran, and they said, because they were trying to like get publicity, because uh-huh. they were launching GoGo, their Wi-Fi, GoGo Wi-Fi, and they said, why don't we get the guy who lived in Ikea to live on our airplane? And the person I know is like, I know him. They're like, do you think he'd be interested? And um, I, I said, I, not only am I interested, but I have all the videos, the ideas and stuff, and I emailed them, and I said, let's do this! So I had to get an FBI background check. I had to go down to the Atlanta FBI background check. The TSA was involved. I had to take all these tests to be to get certified um, to walk on the tarmac in Atlanta, unaccompanied. It was um, it was crazy. Never in the history of aviation has something like this happened. So I would fly on the airplane all day and all night. Passengers would get on and off. I would stay on. I would clean myself with baby wipes because I couldn't shower for a month. Oh, and then um, once a month, I'd sleep alone on the plane at night, and then in the morning I would go on a tarmac to switch planes, but never into public, never into an airport. And then at night, normally um, they would get me off the plane on the tarmac and get me a plane to sleep in. So I was always either a tarmac or um, the airplane. And that was a month! And then I said, I guess it was like, yeah, I didn't really know this going in, but... As it turned out, it was a Guinness World Record for most airplane flights, scheduled flights in 30 days. Wow. They probably arranged for that because I think you have to call Guinness and, like, get proof, which you obviously had enough proof. Yeah, I didn't do it, but the airlines did, and they put my face on the airplane Mm -hmm. and all this stuff. It was pretty crazy. I mean, I – and luckily, like, after a week and a half of flying – all the time and the pilots and the flight attendants talking to me my the fear started to uh go away you know they say mark all turbulence is being in the ocean and going over a wave it's driving over gravel kind of talked me through my uh my fears and flying like three to five times a day 
um, every single day. It just it really helped. And then people around America that have been flying kept asking me for advice and checking in with me. And uh, it was it was definitely a uh, a tough month, an interesting month, but good for self discovery. Uh, but uh, I don't think I'm going to be doing that no. again. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a lot of fun. It sounds interesting. Did you meet any interesting people like that sat beside you? Yeah, I mean, there was definitely because um, people were being like, so like some people knew who I was. Other people just saw the flight attendants and became I became very friendly, treating me a certain way, and they were like kind of like curious. So yeah, like people thought I was. Some people thought it was I, it was a joke, like that mm-hmm. I wasn't really doing this, and they realized, and they were just stunned. I'm trying to think, like out of notable people, like people are, like Franco Harris, who's a Hall of Fame uh, a football player, sat with me in one flight, and then um, we 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 were like I think was it Virginia maybe or somewhere we were on the tarmac, and Danica Patrick, we we wow. did a race with toy cars, toy remote control cars. So I did that with Danica Patrick. That was interesting. she beat me. I think that her people rigged my car not to work um it didn't work very well um I'm trying to think like who else notable there anthony munoz who's a hall of fame uh, football player in canton ohio we went on the tarmac and did some football stuff together i'm trying to think like lisa Loeb, who i'm friendly with a musician she came up on the plane in la and performed some stuff for me with a guitar um yeah people sitting next to me yeah you definitely meet some uh interesting people some people i uh that seem to um, probably uh, not be uh, the, the greatest seatmates, but overwhelmingly, uh, it was it was wonderful. That's really cool. I'm glad that. I mean, that's quite an experience. To at least you know, even if it, even if it was scary at first. Uh, yeah. So you mentioned Bob Newhart, and I was looking on YouTube clips. Did you have a channel called Newhart? <laughs> oh, you're the first person to ever ask me this. Good job with the research. Uh, I just, it was back when YouTube was like very early and I, a lot of people weren't using their, their real names and I just, yeah, I like Newhart. So I just was like, I have to come up with something. I'm just going to call it, yeah, like new, something with Newhart. But um, yeah, I didn't. I should have used my my real name uh, for the IKEA things. I just yeah, I just Newhart. Um, you're really uh, a wise person to notice. I I met Newhart once. He was really nice to me. My brother worked um, on a pilot with Bob Newhart. He's I've never heard anything bad about him. Really nice man. I still hope. I've asked many times. I still hope uh, he does it. But I hope he does as well. He's a. I would love to hear his Don Rickles stories. The yeah. Blow me away yeah, every were... time he tells them. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. <laughs> so, can you explain to me the key to the city videos? I I like the challenge videos a lot. Like, I am always like, what can I pull off? How can I pull this off? And if the idea makes me just laugh and gets me excited, I'll at least consider the idea of moving forward and. I, I just have the idea um, to see how many mayors around the U.S. I could convince to give me their key to the city for doing pretty much nothing. Uh, because, it's like, people, it's like, I would read in the newspaper, they get the key to this city or this person. Mm-hmm. And it was always, like, somebody that, like, it would either be, like, a celebrity or then if you'd have actual, like, heroes that saved lives. And then, but then it's like, 
like singers or like actors. It's like there was no pre, no, there's no like rules on who would get the key to the city. So the whole thing just kind of like made me laugh, and I wanted to investigate this. So I uh, I went across the United States. It was a branded project. I got paid to do it, um, and I just wanted to see how many mayors would give me their key. I did insist on like a very like a small community service project, but a lot of the mayors are like, just take the key. And in one month, I got something like 95 or 96 keys. But I'm talking like, it was like I got the key. I was presented the key to the city of Milwaukee, Baltimore, Tampa, Florida. Um, really, you know, these these really famous places. And then other places where, uh, you know, the mayor didn't have uh, an office. The mayor had a drawer or no, no yeah. office at all. So it was definitely like, you know, a few hundred people in certain places. And then other places are like, you know, famous places. But it was... It was definitely, I think, played into my strengths, which is persistence, comedy, and just what is the power of asking and just yes, taking I... something that seems ridiculous, ridiculous and seeing how far um, I could take it. Because some mornings, I'm telling you, I would have no mayors lined up, and I was just would cold call city halls and be like, well, can the mayor today give me the key to this city? And by the end of the day, sometimes I'd have, you know, I'd wake up in the morning with no mayors lined up, and by the end of the night, the end of the day, I'd have uh, three or four keys, and in one case, City Hall was closed, so I was in Downers Grove, Illinois, with Mayor Ron Sandek in his home at 10 p.m., and he's giving me the key. So, uh, yeah, it's amazing with asking. You just I, I, I'm always a fan of asking. I just had um, Seth Green on the show, and he's in from the Austin Powers movies and Robot Chicken. We, we were talking, they got George Lucas to do a voice for, for, for something, and we were like, and he told me that everyone at Lucas said George Lucas would never say yes to this, and I, I was like, you always ask, and he's like, yes, always ask. Yes, I, what's, what's the craziest thing that you have gotten just by asking, because, I mean, you've asked for a lot, and you've done a lot of crazy uh, sketches and stuff, so what's, what's the craziest you would say? Or, like, the one you didn't expect that you totally, like, blew you away? I would say at the time, it's probably a type with, with, with Ikea letting me live in their store. And maybe, maybe the other uh, would be Celebrity Sleepovers, where I did a web series where I went to Los Angeles and I wanted to see which famous people would let me sleep at their homes instead of paying for hotels. And I... I the, I knew, like, one or two of them, but for the most part, I didn't know any of them. Like, like I'm friendly now with Dave Coulier and from Full House. I'm like, I, I'd never met him in my entire life until um, I showed up at his home. And he, I mean, this was all people gave me their permission. I, I don't know. And I just asked people, and it's like, can I, can I sleep over? And um, I, I was very uh, excited and amused that so many people said yes. Yes, I... I was about to ask you about that because, like, I, I was curious to see if you expected the response you did, but... Also I never know. Certainly, I've fallen on my face in terms of coming up with, with ideas that I would, I would hope would, would do well in general. I think, like, anybody, it doesn't matter who it is, um, it's, stuff, it's not always going to it's not always going to be a yes. And I think um, perseverance, being resilient, and... Uh, Definitely just trying to go, keep going. But yeah, the celeb sleepovers exceeded um, anything I thought <laughs> that would happen with it. I'm still friendly with a bunch of those people. It was the, it was probably the most fun. Um, and I wasn't in physical pain. Like even um, like Dave Coulier, like we thought it would be funny if I slept in his SUV. 
and his girlfriend now wife was like please sleep in our uh, the, the house and i'm like now if i tell people i'm sleeping in your suv of course i have to and then like dave and i have then had breakfast i get up early because i'm still in east coast time and he gets up early naturally so we just mm-hmm. had breakfast in his home at like I don't know, it was like, like 6 or whatever, 5.36. But most of the time I did sleep in their homes. But like Justine Bateman, we thought it would be funny if I slept in her treehouse. But Justine's like, please sleep inside. We'll just tell people. And I was like, ah, Justine, I tell people I'm in your treehouse. I'm going to do it. It was like this beautiful, um, looked up beautiful over um, Los Angeles. Um, and then I had breakfast with her and her kids in the morning. Uh, so much fun. That That is amazing. How do you go about asking people – in a respectful way, because I know that, um, a lot of times with, like, YouTube and podcasts, people get really anxious, and they're just kind of, like, throwing it out there, but they're not always doing it respectfully. What would you say to people that are wanting to have, like, guests and stuff on their venue, their medium? I think credibility, I'm sure for celebrity sleepovers, they Googled me uh, very, very carefully. And I just try to establish credibility. Like sometimes that takes a while to build up in terms of getting credits. But I mean, I just try to be very upfront with people. Like I've been on the Today Show, I've been on CNN, and uh, I had a day job on a well-known television show. I'm a former staff member of that show. Try to build up credibility. And then for the Carson thing, you know, I'm like, um, I just approached somebody and I said, I've been, you know, I've done over 170 of these with, with past guests and I named who they were. Um, so I, yeah, I just, I feel like with any endeavor, um, it just sometimes takes a while. Um, but once you get like a couple people to say yes, and then you can say they were guests on uh, a podcast or whatever it is. Um, I definitely think more people are inclined. Um, and it just takes time. It just takes time. And persistence. true. Polite yeah. persistence. Making Polite people persistence. feel comfortable. I should, yeah. I should call that the, the name. Not Mark Malfalf. It should just be Polite Persistence. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny, yeah. Uh, so you worked on Colbert for a little while? I had a day job on the Colbert Report for three years and eight months. I was audience coordinator. So <laughs> I was, my job from, we started in October. October of 2005, I believe, is when the show mm-hmm. premiered. And yeah, I was there for like um, a little less than a month pre-production on 54th Street between 10th and 11th in New York City. And uh, initially, I think Comedy Central gave us less than 40 shows. It might have been 40 shows. So initially, that's what it was with the option. And if the show did well, we would have more. And my job was getting people tickets, seating the audience, talking to the audience before the show like handling charity auctions but i would talk to the audience anywhere from i don't know like two minutes to like sometimes like if the sh- if they were having trouble if they were having like the rewrites were going long i'd talk to the audience for like 25 or 30 minutes that's really cool uh that's an interesting job so um you interviewed someone recently that like did uh was a warm-up comedian is that I know, like, you said you just talked to them, but, like, do you identify with warm-up comedians, like, because of that, or? I, I know so many. I've done, I've worked on so many television shows, and I know so many warm-ups personally. Yeah, like, um, 
my guest this next week, Bill Sheff, used to warm up Letterman. He warmed up the first couple of years at CBS, the first year or two, and warmed up the last year or two of, of NBC. So, yeah, it's definitely a, a very specialized skill set to be able to do that. So, I mean, I was never like the warm up at, at Colbert. Um, I did. I, I warmed up. I think the audience only once for like a special mm-hmm. tape in, and I did. But I would definitely talk to them in the holding room for right. like again two minutes, sometimes over twenty minutes. Right. But it's definitely a unique skill set to get that audience mm-hmm. that they know that they have to that they're responsible for being there to be loud with their laughter. But the sitcom tapings are the hardest. I mean, the, the, some of those sitcom tapings that I've been to that I've worked on were like four or five hour tapings, and with the warm up guy, they would do each scene sometimes you know, multiple times, like sometimes four or five times, and then they would have um, the writers rewriting for like a half hour at a time. So, I mean, gosh, that's a brutal, brutal uh, job um, to warm up for the sitcoms. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely admire the ones that can do it well. That's crazy. That's good. Like, I think even if you're talking to them, you're warming them up, you're kind of getting them in a, a good mood and – uh, that's something I really admire because it, it is hard. Um, I want to kind of shift gears if it's okay and ask you about, uh, your wife is often featured in your videos and, uh, how does she help you? Uh, does she want to be involved or do you kind of wrangle her to be involved sometimes uh normally christina's game there's certain videos that were a little harder to talk her into but she definitely has full veto power and trust me she said no many times (laughs) um yeah she's produced a bunch of the videos she's been in them she's edited a, a little bit here and there um when I lived on the airplane they they arranged the airline to for her to fly with me on the weekends to see me uh, so yeah, and she's uh, definitely been one of the producers on the podcast from day one and, and still occasionally edits some of the episodes. Um, but she's always just a, like a really, she's a strong producer and she's, um, definitely somebody that just is, has a lot of wisdom and is good instincts. So I'm always like going to her for advice with, with any projects and stuff. But yeah, she's definitely, I mean, she definitely... Sometimes, like, when I was carried across New York City um, to prove to the, the world New Yorkers are nice, it was something like, I think it was 155 individuals carried me 9.4 miles over, like, 19 hours. It was the coldest yeah. day of the year. So, like, I definitely had to do some damage control because uh, Christine was with us the whole time. Like, why did you have to pick the coldest day of the year? And, uh, I don't know. Right. I could have waited for the summer, but I was like, I need to do this now. My enthusiasm level, and it worked out because, like, I don't know. They, they had me on Anderson Cooper. I was carried on to the set of Anderson Cooper, and I did today the Today Show. So the timing was good, but, yeah, definitely. Uh, it definitely has complicated our marriage occasionally, but it definitely, I think, has made us stronger. That is really cool and I love that how involved she is and definitely that she has veto power yeah that's always a good oh, thing oh 100% and the wife I've, I've noticed I'm talking to a lot of my friends uh the wife normally wins so and it's that's fine yep <laughs> yeah uh, so is there a question like you've interviewed so many people is there a question that you, if you were to be interviewed like now that you have always wanted to be asked about or do you just want to take this time to talk about any 
upcoming projects? I normally don't. I'm so much more comfortable interviewing people. Like when people ask me stuff, like I, I mean, I just really appreciate you asking me and doing this. But it's just not, I'm like, I'm like my comfortable. Like I just I don't I never know what to say. I mean, right. um, I appreciate you giving me a forum to even talk about some of my stuff. Let's see. Um, other than the podcast, I'm working on a bunch of projects that just take so much time, and nothing is like at a place where I can really right. announce it. it. Yeah. But just let uh, let you guys know, let you know. Um, it's always uh, a bunch of things, and it's um, persevering and just, um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely one of those things where people, hopefully, if they follow me on Twitter or my, go to my website, that you'll be seeing exciting things soon. Soon, soon. yes. <laughs> and as in the podcast keeps going, yeah, we have some really fun episodes of the Carson Podcast um, coming up, and I need uh, to get back to Los Angeles to do more. Yes. So, what are your some of your favorite Johnny Carson moments? Oh gosh, this is great. People don't ask me that a lot. Um, I think like Johnny with kids, like he was really good. Like Ellen DeGeneres does that now really well. But it's strange to me, like that Letterman and Leno stopped doing that because Dave on his NBC show would have kids in early CBS. But like I thought Letterman was really good with kids. But Johnny was amazing with making kids feel comfortable. I liked him with animals. I always liked him, um, like, with Joan Embry. I thought, like, the, the Carson cigarette box with Rickles was oh one of my, my God, favorites. Oh, my God, I was about to say so it. It, <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> it never gets old to me. Um, I love that. I, I, um, yeah, like, that, that to me is, like, that is one of my, um, Probably those are some of my yeah. favorites. I think that um, when I'm looking at the show and thinking about about the show is um, and just whenever he's ban- I just liked whenever he would banter with Doc and Ed and it went really well. Like the whole Thanksgiving thing where Doc is giving Carson a hard time because he has nowhere to go for Thanksgiving and there's like just a, uh, just like like stuff like where they're laughing so much, which I don't see a lot on the shows now. Like um, the genuine like. Like, Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise and Carson just all together are just having a really fun, mm-hmm. just, like, stuff just goes in a different direction, and they go go with it. Like, Sis Boom Bah, which is a famous Carson Karnak thing, where yeah. him and Ed just can't stop laughing for almost, like, two minutes. Like, stuff like that, uh, it was just so much fun um, to watch. And I love the also, like, the pace of the show is so much slower than what would go on now on one of those shows. And I, I, I just, from, like, a... Uh, 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 kind of a historical standpoint it's so interesting to see like what the fashion was at the time you can see politically where the country was with Carson's monologue you can see who the famous people were that got booked because that's where like the entertainment was and then um just yeah there's so much about the uh about history just watching that that show that I really love just kind of going back and seeing where the country was and where uh society was at the time that is definitely a for sure thing. I do like I do like the slower pace. It feels more natural, and um, I I just want to say um, uh, that I loved this interview, and I love that you are so good at interviewing people because you're naturally curious. I feel like because you can hold your own with Dick Cavett, who's just just this brilliant conversationalist, 
and you can hold a conversation with him that I don't really hear anyone else holding with him. So, props. Th- that is very nice. You've done a, uh, an excellent job, and I'm I'm honored to be uh, your first guest. Cavett was one of those people, Dick Cavett, the, the uh, second time we were with him, I think it was maybe our 100th episode, afterwards I showed him a bunch of his Carson clips that, that, that um, he had no idea they existed. One was from 1966, and another one was him guest hosting The Tonight Show in like 1981. Mm-hmm. He canceled his next appointment. He told his assistant, cancel this to stay with us and watch his clips, oh and he just was God. dumbfounded. That's so it's cool. Been, yeah. It's been really fascinating just sitting down with people and asking them the Carson questions and then anything else I really want to about life. People have been uh, just very nice and warm uh, to me. And, uh, yeah, just doing the research, I think people know that uh, I have no, uh, no agenda. I'm out to make them look good, like Johnny made people look good. And, uh, yeah, just trying to have do something that I believe in that is uh, putting – positive hopefully something that's positive out there which you're doing yay i'm glad i'm doing this and that it's not totally awkward (laughs) not at all um so with dick cavett um you've had him more than once is there any other guests that you would like to have again or that maybe that you have lined up that's gonna come again I, yeah, I, I love um, I love Martin Mullon. When I went to him, I went to to uh, 20th Century Fox, and he was doing a sitcom at the time. They were taping that week, so I had to I finished them watching rehearsal. And we had, it was like 15 minutes. It was really really short. He was friendly with Johnny. He guest hosted the show, so I think like Martin Mall for sure would be great. I'm gonna look at my guest list because I just have no idea. I think like Tom Drayson. I, I scratched the surface. It was very early on in the podcast. And I have a lot more questions for, for him. Um, I would love for him to come back on. Um, I'm trying to think. Like I really want Mac Davis. I thought was a phenomenal guest, and I had a bunch of more more questions for for, for Mac, who went Carson uh, an awful lot. Uh, Mel Brooks for sure. Oh God, I would Mel want Brooks to come was, on. And uh... Been trying to make that happen. Hopefully that will happen. Um, Jeff Sotsing, Johnny's nephew, who does part, runs Carson Entertainment Group, who's been uh, another guy who's just been so supportive and, and, and kind to me. I'd love for him uh, to come back on at some point. I, I, I hope that happens. Um, let's see. Like, I'm trying to see who else might be a good fit to have back on the show. Those are those are the people off the top of my head that I think uh, would be uh, – that I really would like uh, to have back on the podcast. We think that there's a lot more. Irving Davis, who I just talked to yesterday on the phone, uh, who held the curtain open for Johnny. I, I had call. I just called him about something, but um, he was just telling me that one of his friends. He was just talking. Was just watching, hearing his podcast. He was a great guest. But um, it is one of those things. It's like the fly on the wall. What went on backstage with the person that opened the curtain for Johnny? So I'd love him to come back on. Um, yeah, maybe Kreskin, who went on the show a bunch, he would be great. These are all people, for the most part, I've very early onward. I right. kind of felt like I didn't know what I was doing, um, and I didn't know what I was doing. So, yeah, like, I'm those sure are I'll the feel that way. off the top I'll, of my head. I'll have you back, like, in a year or I so. hope Stephen Wright, <laughs> I'd love to come back, too. Stephen Wright would be a, a great person to come back. So, um, yeah, I have my, my list. Carol Burnett, I mean, oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. would probably be on one of the top, top on my list. Mm-hmm. to come back as well um yeah so we shall see 
that's great to hear. All the right people that I want to hear from again. <laughs> oh, good. And if you have suggestions, I have listeners send me in suggestions, and I'm always open. Normally, the people that suggest are people that I've already reached out to, but occasionally mm-hmm. there will be a, a listener that um, reaches out with mm-hmm. a suggestion that I, I it didn't occur to me. Uh, and just doing so many hours of research, I'll discover people like Frank Abagnale, who they they um, he wrote the book Catch Me If You Can, which became a movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, directed by Steven Spielberg. And I had no idea that Abagnale, Frank Abagnale, was on Carson, and that was the only reason the book got made. So it's just doing research that I find these people, and um, it's it is a lot of research. But then yeah, just reaching out. And Frank Abagnale was another person that said the only reason he said yes. It's because it was about Johnny. So, there you go. Johnny is obviously the uniting factor. And I think that's, you know, he had so many guests that everybody has these warm memories. So, everybody is willing to, because people don't always want to talk about themselves. They want to talk about someone else and they like their experience with someone else. Uh I do, want, I do want to mention, I have tried to get people that, um, there's a, I can only really think of five people that had uh, not great experiences that I've tried to get on the podcast, because I do want to, you know, nobody's perfect, we're all flawed human beings, and I've tried to get, um, tried to get Wayne Newton on the podcast numerous times, I've tried to get, uh, I think Paul Rodriguez, the comedian, um, he says he had a really bad experience with Carson. I've tried to get him on the podcast. Mm. Um, who else? There's a but. There's like um, there's a couple. I tried to get Joan Rivers before she passed away. Who mm. I, I mean, I worked with her once, and I met her another mm. time. I met her on both. Of, was very nice. I mean, I tried to get Rivers. I tried to get mm. Melissa Rivers on to mm-hmm. talk. So I definitely tried, and I don't know what Melissa Rivers would say. I have no idea. Um, but I definitely have tried to get people. Uh, that might have a different experience, uh, but I have not been able to do that yet. But I, I, I keep trying. That is, a, I mean, it's a great thing to reach out to people. Obviously, we've said persistence. Um, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I, uh, I just think um, definitely it's been... Um, it's definitely been one of those things where the power of asking I've learned from doing this is how important that is. And I think it's like really good. Like when I approach people, I'm like, um, I'd love to talk about your eight Johnny appearances. So they already know I did the, their, my, my, my research and stuff. Um, and I just try to be very, very specific. Like your eight appearances with Johnny and two with guest host Don Rickles. Like I just try to be ultra specific so they know that I, um, I've done the work. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's smart because, I mean, you're, you're, you don't have a platform like CNN or anything like that. No. So you've got to show that you have done your research. Um, so yeah. I want to ask you one final question. And sure, ask me whatever you want. I think you'll be a very familiar with this question. What does Johnny Carson mean to you and why? <laughs> oh, my goodness. You turn the tables on me. That's hilarious. I'm uh, that that again is uh, it's definitely something. Uh, hope that um, I've asked a lot of people. I, I don't even remember when I started with that question. I, I don't think I did it initially, but uh, yeah. So who is Johnny Carson? Let's see. What does he mean to me? Something. Okay. Um, 
let's see, Johnny Carson was at one point, as Steve Martin said, more famous probably than the president of the United States. He, he was somebody that appealed to everybody. He, he played in, in, in middle America. He played in cities. He, he was just one of them, probably one of the most likable people ever to be in the medium of, of television. He was somebody that, that had longevity where nobody gave him serious competition for 30 years, which is unheard of. So many people tried to knock him down. He had the skill set, the uh, ability to sit down with the most famous movie stars uh, and then sit down with people that were called civilians that had never likely been to Burbank or New York that had, that were not famous and make people feel equally comfortable. He could take kids, he could take anybody and make them feel uh, comfortable. They would say even the most nervous movie starts like Elizabeth Taylor. Like once they sat down with Johnny, the, the nerves went away. He had he listened. You know, he was uh, he listened. He was naturally curious. He was all about making his guests look good. And for, for, for 30 years, he 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 created this uh, this incredible legacy and, and late night that people still talk about. I think I mean, they just did a poll on Rolling Stone magazine and he was voted number one of all time, even though he's been off the, the air now for over 20 years. I mean, 26 years made this past May. 26. He, he was a guy that, that was from Nebraska, born in Iowa, raised in Nebraska, that at the end of the day, that's, he was not about show business. He definitely had show business friends and, and, and definitely his, his influence and his, his, the person he loved was, was Jack Benny and he loved Buddy Rich, but he was into astronomy. He was into tennis. He, he was into learning Swahili, learning Russian. Uh, I think he looked down at the Hollywood people that their all of their lives were were just entertainment. He he was a curious guy. Peter LaSalle said he was the most well-read person he that he ever he ever met. Uh, Peter said that he would bring his lunch in a brown paper sack. I mean he he was one of those guys that um, for how much money how famous he was. I feel like at the end of the day he still had that Nebraska uh, that upbringing always. Uh, stayed with him. He was very, very shy if he didn't know certain people. Um, there were people that at the Tonight Show that said it was when he would be go out behind from behind the curtain, it, would, it was like turning on a switch. He'd become this other person. And I think that person was always in him. I just think he, he was very shy. Because you talk to J David Steinberg or his um, second wife, I said this publicly, I believe, um, said that if you knew him, he was very much the same Johnny that would host The Tonight Show. He just had to be comfortable with you. And obviously, he couldn't do that with everybody off camera. He had to be somewhat guarded. I mean, the most famous, one of the most famous men in America, uh, public figures and stuff. Uh, all, uh, people always wanted stuff from him, so he had to be somewhat guarded. But he was a guy that I think it, 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 um, overall was just a, a, a huge fan of comedy. He loved to laugh. He loved being generous. He was all about making his guests look good. And if he could get laughs on top of that, that was wonderful. Cause there's certain get, uh, hosts that are all about just them getting the laugh no matter what. And he, he was, uh, definitely, uh, a guy that, that didn't want to wear out his welcome after 29 years and six months. Um, he decided to leave, uh, and go out on top. Uh, he could have stayed, he kept coming back, but he wanted to go out on the top of his game, and he did. And true to his word, um, you know, he didn't really, he made, he did a voiceover on The Simpsons, he did a cameo on Letterman, 
um, two cameos on Letterman. Uh, but and then he called in a, a couple times on the phone, once maybe once or twice on the phone after retirement. But that was it, you know. I mean, he could have done whatever he wanted. He did not need the spotlight. A lot of people when they they leave when they were uh, they just need as they as the years they need the public, they need the audience, they need the validation, they need the, the applause. And he was he wasn't like that. Uh, and he to this day, if you talk to the current hosts, they still hold him in this esteem as as being the best person uh, host that uh, for the most part, I mean, I talked a lot to some of them. He was that the guy that people, people still look to is the, is the, is the standard for how, how to have a late night show. For sure. You can see your passion there. I love it. And I am glad. <laughs> I hope that's a good answer. I don't know. It is. I mean, You've asked that many times, and people give different responses because it's a good question. I've been a fan for such a long time, and like yeah. like I said, like your podcast was the first I've ever listened to, and like I didn't listen to another podcast for a very long time because I just didn't un I just didn't understand podcasts at the time because I just like it was like 2014 and a lot of podcasts weren't really popular yet. So that's true. The um, time in. Well, I'm glad that, that now you have your own podcast. You did an amazing job. So bravo. That's me applauding oh, in New York city. I want to applaud yeah. you. There we go. Well, thank you. I, I'll take the applause. <laughs> I will take it. Take it. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Please go and check Mark's podcast out. The Carson podcast out. He has a Patreon that I do support. Mark has many other funny videos that we mentioned here that you can find by searching his name on YouTube. So if you enjoyed this, please subscribe to this podcast and I'd love your support. And if you could give me a rating, that would really help me out. Thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you later. This has been a Hope Sears presentation, darling.